This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. We've been doing a summer's playlist, and we've been doing a lot of standalone messages, which is exciting because I've been sitting on this one for a while. And when I give you the title, some of you are like, oh my goodness, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious, but, but let me explain, okay? So the title of today's message is, The Devil Wears, not Prada, The Devil Wears Many Hats. Okay, the devil wears many hats. And, and I think there's some culturally misunderstanding of who Satan is and who Satan isn't. And so we're going to talk about Satan today. And there's some three things that I always try to do anytime I get up here. Is one, to encourage all of you, to challenge all of you, and to help you maybe learn something you didn't already know about Scripture. Right? And so to always dive into the Scripture. So that's what we're going to do. Before we do that, I want to intro it with this video from Pastor Tommy Nelson out of Denton Bible Church. Check it out. If I was the devil, if I was the devil, I'll tell you what I'd do. I would try to deceive you and get you into error. I would get you off base. And if you still stayed true, I would try to disqualify you. I would get you immoral. I would get you where no one would believe what came out of your mouth. I would make you a tabloid where nobody believed you. I would remove your confidence where you were afraid to speak because your life was such a shambles. I would get you into sin. I would prowl like a roaring lion to devour you morally. And if I couldn't do that, I would try to make you successful. And I would distract you if I couldn't disqualify you. I would get you busy. I would get you so distracted and disattracted from the gospel that no longer would your prayers be about holiness and souls. They would only be about the bottom line in your business. I would get you materialistic and no longer concerned about the spiritual nature of life. If I couldn't do that, I would divide you. If I couldn't divide you, I've almost lost you. You know what I'd do then? I would discourage you. And then if I couldn't discourage you, I'd try to death. I would would try my best. That's what I would do to take you out. Whew, this is going to be an optimistic message today. Thanks, that. No, no, but 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 it's important. I want to talk to you guys about this. When I became a believer in October of 2000, the very first book someone put in my lap as a Christian was Screw Tape Letters. Has anybody ever read read Screw Tape Letters? If you haven't, let me tell you who it's by and what it's about. C.S. Lewis, great theologian and author. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That, that's C.S. Lewis. We also wrote other books besides fantasy, and so one of them was Screw Tape Letters. And Screw Tape Letters is a book about Uncle Screw Tape. That's why it's called Screw Tape Letters. And Uncle Screw Tape is a master demon writing letters to his apprentice, his nephew Wormwood. And in these letters, he's telling him or teaching him or coaching him on how to attack believers, on those who have a relationship with Jesus, to get them off of base. That's what this book is all about. So I actually got to talk to somebody one time who was a part of the C.S. Lewis estate, to which I said, you know, have you guys ever thought about redoing Screw Tape Letters so it was more culturally current. And they're like, you're kidding me, it's a classic. It doesn't need to be redone, which I agree. But I think there's just things today that he would have written about 
had it existed back then, like technology and social media and internet and all of those things. It just looks radically different than when he was writing this during World War II. Amazing classic. But so what I'm going to do, since they won't redo a book, we're actually going to look a little bit about what it would look like if Screwtape was writing a letter on your behalf today. That's what I want to look at. And so before we do that, let's look at the hero. Let's look at the one that we know is for us, and that's God. And these are three qualities of God that are real important to know. Okay? Omnipotent. What does that mean? Good. We're awake this morning. Omnipotent. What does that mean? Thank you. It means God is all-powerful. Omniscient, which means what? He's all-knowing. And then omnipresent means he's everywhere. Okay? Let me tell you why I'm pointing this out. God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He is the only one in all of the galaxies to possess those qualities. Not even Satan, the devil himself, possesses those qualities. So Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. So what that means is you can't wake up in Branson, Missouri this morning and say, man, the devil was just on me. And somebody in California say the exact same thing. It's not possible. He's not omnipresent. Now, When Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, so were a third, and we don't know what the third number is, we just know it was a third from scripture, Uh, so were a third of all the angels that became demons, sent here to torment and help the devil. But even then, there's a limited number of devil, uno, and there's a limited number of demons, a third of all the angels came down and they were cast out of heaven, okay? So he is not omnipresent. Let me tell you why I'm pointing this out. What does this stand for right here? Just curious, all of you. That's, what, that's exactly what it stands for. WWW stands for World Wide Web. That's exactly what it is. As the next slide will show you, that's exactly what it is. It's the World Wide Web. So just think about this for a minute. If you're in war, which they're in war, good and evil, God versus Satan, and there's the spiritual forces of evil taking place, which we're going to read about here in a second, and you're not omnipresent, which is a huge war tactic for your enemy to have that you don't have then you're at a huge disadvantage. So why, rather than trying to torment one person, wouldn't you infiltrate the WWW where you could impact and reach billions of people? Hang with me. I'm not saying the internet is Satan himself, but I'm saying he uses warfares to get to us. And I'm going to prove statistically here in just a minute on how he has done this. Okay? But let's see who scripture says that Satan is so that we have a clear understanding of who he is and who he is not. All right? Job says this in one seven. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. This is validation of what I just told you. He is not omnipresent. He's going back and forth. He's roaming. God doesn't ever need to roam. God is. He is the I am. He's everywhere. He can be in Branson. He can be in California. He can be in Australia. He can be in Japan. That is who his God is. That is not Satan. He does not possess the quality of omnipresence. What does the scripture say about Satan? He was a murderer. So now we know he's a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Why? Because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So he is the opposite of truth. He's a murderer and he's a liar and he's not omnipresent. Who else does it say that Satan is in scripture? It says he's the thief. He's the thief that comes to only. You look in the NAS, the ESV, the NIV, the the NIL. It it doesn't matter. The Koine Greek, that word is only in every single translation. The only reason he comes, devil, is to steal to steal what? Your joy, to steal your happiness, to, to, to steal your self, 
uh, esteem and kill. Kill what? Kill you. Like that video said, he would try to destroy you, right? And, and destroy. Destroy what? Destroy your family. Destroy your parenting. Destroy your home. Like that's why he comes. It's the only reason he comes. He doesn't come to do anything good. Now, he might deceive you like he deceived Adam and Eve and make you think he's coming to you. But the only reason he comes is to destroy. But I, this being Jesus in this context, he's the one speaking. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or your version might say, have it abundantly. That's where Jesus came, is that you may have a full life. If you're not experiencing a full life, and you're experiencing one that is being stolen, killed, and destroyed, who's got victory in your life? Right? What else does scripture say about Satan? Well, it says, be alert and of sober mind. I love this passage. This is what I use for all my youngsters that want to justify smoking marijuana. Right? Dude, marijuana is so natural. And why would God put it here if it wasn't okay? It's a natural herb, bro. And I'm like, great. And I just tell them, hey, the scripture makes it clear. The THC levels in marijuana are so high, you can't smoke it and be sober-minded. I don't care what state legalizes it. It's still not going to help you be sober. Like, you can justify it all you want because the rest of the culture is justifying it, which the enemy wants you to do. But it's very clear in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. I have never in my life seen a pothead get high and be like, yeah, I'm so sober right now. Like, you're not sober when you get THC in your system. And so then it says, you're the enemy the devil prowls around like. He's not a lion. It says he prowls around like. Do you know who the lion is? Revelation 5, 5 says, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He went as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. I've read the whole book. We win. He's coming back. He's coming back as a lion. Okay? And so it says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he prowls. He acts like a lion. Well, let me tell you why this is important. You don't ever want to hear the roar of a lion in your own life. Because when a lion is stalking his prey, he doesn't roar. As a matter of fact, he would scare his prey away if he did that. And when a lion captures his prey, he doesn't roar. Or else he would attract all the hyenas and other competition for what he has just gotten. A lion, while eating his prey, doesn't roar. A lion roars once it has stalked, captured, ate, and enjoyed its meal. And then it roars. Let's be so wise as to not to wait to hear the roar of a lion in our life. That isn't even a true lion. But he prowls, so he acts like a lion. What else does scripture say about Satan? Well, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's a schemer. He's been scheming since the Garden of Eden. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So there's just war going on on our behalf. Angels are warring on our behalf as I speak. In these spiritual realms that you and I cannot see. There is a battle. There is a war going on. Okay? What else does scripture say about Satan? It says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Right? So we grow up watching cartoons, and when we think of Satan, we think of red mask, horns, tail, pitchfork. That's not Satan. He, he looks really attractive. He looks really appealing. He makes you think it's something good. He, he pulls you into temptation. That's what Satan does. That's his job. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So you might think something is good or not bad, and that's exactly what he wants you to think. If he can get you to walk into that, 
right? But once again, he is not omnipresent. And so there's this battle that not only is going on between the spiritual forces of evil, there's a battle going on in our own lives. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, now we see a different battle. And this isn't Satan. There's, there's the Spirit, and there's the flesh, right? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. So the Spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another, right? They're at odds with one another. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, I love it, that's singular. You might have learned this in vacation Bible school, or you maybe never heard of this before at all. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's singular. There's no plural here. There's no fruits and there's no spirits. It's singular. Fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you why I'm pointing this out. When you became a believer of Jesus Christ, when you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior and the only one that could take away your sins, and believe he died on the cross for you, was buried, resurrected, defeated death, so we don't have to taste it, and is coming back. When you believe and trusted that, that is the gospel, that is the good news, that Jesus died for you, so you don't have to go to hell. When you trusted and believed that, the Holy Spirit at that moment came to live inside of you. John 14, 16, John 14, 26. Jesus promises a spirit that would come and guide us. And a part of that spirit is here now, the fruit of the spirit I'm about to talk about. Now, if you've never made that decision, I'm telling you after this service, there will be a prayer team up front that would love to talk and would love to meet with you. It's the best decision you'll ever make. As you'll see, the enemy doesn't ever want you to make that decision. But when you become a believer, the fruit of the spirit comes inside of you. So it's not just one of these. You don't get one of these things I'm about to say. You get all of them. As a believer of Jesus Christ, hear me, those of you that trust Jesus, this lives inside of you. It embodies you as a believer today. You have love. You have joy. You have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, things, there is no law. So you have the Spirit inside of you. All those things live inside of you right now, right? Uh, Paul says it best in Romans 7. It sounds like a tongue twister, but he says this. He, He understands this battle. He says... For I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And then he summarizes the chapter with this. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body? Praise be to God for my Savior Jesus Christ. So we have this war we're already waging. And Satan doesn't have to do anything to us sometimes. We have our flesh. He, he, he doesn't need to send his demon to us. He doesn't need to send himself to us. Like, we have our flesh that we're waging war against. Right? And yes, he may tempt us at different times with demons and different things. But more often than not, it's not even him. It's our own flesh that we're battling. And what we do when we make the mistake is rather than accepting responsibility for the flesh we're battling, we just like to blame him. 
which there are a lot of things to blame him for, but sometimes your own flesh, you just need to accept responsibility that you're falling into your own sinful desires, right? goes on to say at the end of Galatians 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, let's take the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self And let's just look at the opposite. So if we know the fruit of the Spirit is this, then we know the opposite is the work of the devil. Because the fruit of the Spirit is God. It's part of the triune God living inside of us. If that's what God is, then anything the opposite is that. Let's look at the first one is love. What's the opposite of love? Yep, the opposite of hate. Right? Do you know you are given permission to God to hate one person in this world? Do you know who it is? Satan. That's it. Nobody else. End the list. No other different political party. No different ethnicity. No different culture. No, no co-employee. No ex-boyfriend. No ex-girlfriend. No ex-wife. No ex-husband. You are given permission to hate one person in this entire world. Satan. Period. No more. As a follower of Jesus. And he says the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your neighbor as yourself because they're easy to get along with. No, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's a, that's a reflection of Jesus is love. He is the epitome of love. For God so loved the world. He embodies the word love. And so for you to walk in love, you automatically show other people Jesus. So once again, back to WWW, an enemy who is not omnipresent is going to try to use this to divide this. So I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary Social Dilemma on Netflix, but they unpack and research a lot of this stuff we're seeing with social media. Here's a clip I want to show you on polarization. Check it out. We all simply are operating on a different set of facts. When that happens at scale, you're no longer able to reckon with or even consume information that contradicts with that worldview that you've created. That means we aren't actually being objective, constructive individuals. And then you look over at the other side and you start to think, how can those people be so stupid? Look at all of this information that I'm constantly seeing. How are they not seeing that same information? And the answer is, they're not seeing that same information. What are Republicans like? People that don't have a clue. The Democrat Party is a crime syndicate, not a real political party. A huge new Pew Research Center study of 10,000 American adults finds us more divided than ever, with personal and political polarization at a 20-year high. You have more than a third of Republicans saying the Democratic Party is a threat to the nation, more than a quarter of Democrats saying the same thing about the Republicans. Remember that video I showed you at the very beginning? I would divide you. Abraham Lincoln said, if this country ever falls, it's not going to be ever from out, it's going to be from within. I, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, biblically, biblically, you don't have permission from God to hate somebody just because they have a different political view than you. You don't have permission from God to hate somebody just because they have a different religious view than you. And you definitely don't have permission from God to hate somebody just because they disagree with you online. So if love is God and the opposite of that hate is... You see, I'm going, well, what's the next one? Joy, right? Joy, joy. what's the opposite of joy? Depression. 
Depression. Now, now, let me preface it with this. I'm not speaking of clinical depression. I wholeheartedly believe there's clinical depression that needs counseling and medication. And, and that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to an astronomical growth in teenage depression and the depression spikes we have seen since the spike of social media. As a matter of fact, Kylie Crossland from World Magazine reached out to me when all this social media started taking off in 2012. And I told her we're going to see a rise in anxiety and depression. You can Google this. And she says, how do you know that? I said, because when young people start looking for their worth and their value outside of this, it's going to make them extremely anxious and depressed. She calls me back six years later. says, you nailed it. I said, no, God's word nailed it. Like God's word nailed it, right? right, right? You're, you're going to be depressed. You want to know why? You want to know the difference between the word word, W-R-D, and the word world, W-R-O-R-L-D, right? The word in the world. There's one letter. What letter is it? He's the father of what? So you, you can spend time reading and receiving the truth every morning because the world will only lie to you the rest of the day. Social media is a device that we run to that's telling us lies. It's polarizing us intentionally. Whether, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, you get on and you, and, and you read only the news you listen to. It's a syndicate to get you to think that way. And, and they get on a different news station. It's the same thing. It's polarizing us, teaching us to hate people, which is not the work of the Lord. Right? Look at these statistics. 210 million, the number of people estimated to suffer from internet and social media addiction globally. 210 million. Remember, he's not omnipresent, but that is impacting a lot of people. Way more than going after one person. Let's go after the World Wide Web, right? 30 minutes, the time you can cut from social media use each day to significantly reduce symptoms of loneliness and depression. 52% of students said social media made them feel less confident about how they look or how interesting their life is. Right? And parents can listen to be like, man, I wish my teenage daughter, I wish my teenage son was listening to this right now. No, 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 no. Why will, pe- why will children behave in what they don't see their parents model? They won't. So th- th- this, th- Facebook, right? If you want to say the older generation is in Facebook, the younger generation is doing the TikTok. Like, I don't, I don't care what internet device it is. It's divisive and it's generating depression and anxiety and everything else, right? What's the next fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's peace, Right? Opposite of peace is to have anxiety, right? And we're seeing this just go through the roof. It's going through the charts. I spend almost 340 days a year with 13 to 20-year-olds. And I'm watching it right before my eyes. Every year, the depression and the anxiety just keep going up and up and up and up. It's crazy, right? So, so if that first video I showed you from that documentary is helping you understand the polarization of adults and getting to, adults to speak toxically to each other online and, and use this venom language and divide them and do everything else, this next video from the same documentary would speak more to the teenager. Check it out. It's up 62% for older teen girls. It's up 189% for the preteen girls. That's nearly triple even more horrifying, we see the same pattern with suicide. The older teen girls, 15 to 19 years old, they're up 70% compared to the first decade of the century. The preteen girls, who have very low rates to begin with, they are up 151%. And that pattern points to social media. Gen Z, the kids born after 1996 or so, those kids are the first generation in history that got on social media in middle school. How do they spend their time? They come home from school and they're on their devices. A whole generation is more anxious, more fragile, more depressed 
they're much less comfortable taking risks. The rates at which they get driver's licenses have been dropping. The number who have ever gone out on a date or had any kind of romantic interaction is dropping rapidly. This is a real change in a generation. And remember, for every one of these, for every hospital admission, there's a family that is traumatized and horrified. My God, what is happening to our kids? There is between finding your worth in the word and trying to find your worth in the world. That L, father of lies. Right? And I, I, I'm seeing it. I'm dealing with it. I, I mean, literally, students have come through my program. I've seen suicides. Like, a, a firsthand. Like, having to be part of funerals. Like, it's, it's devastating. And, and so, once again, the enemy, the devil, is not omnipresent. So, what is he going to do? He's very tactful. He's very crafty. He's going to try to get the sense of omnipresence as close as he can because he doesn't have that war tactic that God has of omnipresence. WWW, right? The next one is patience, right? The opposite of patience? Impatient. Right? I, I, I get to go golfing with my buddy Sam Watson, who's a scratch golfer. I'm not a scratch golfer. Right? So, so I don't expect to ever be like Tiger Woods. Some of you that go out there once or twice a year and expect to hit a 350-yard bomb down the middle of the fairway when you don't, you throw your club, is ridiculous. Do you have any idea how many balls Tiger Woods has hit in his lifetime? Like, he is a professional. For you to think that your Tiger is just crazy. But Sam is a scratch golfer. And even when Sam doesn't hit great balls... Like, he's so patient with himself and patient with people that aren't as good as him. It reflects Christ. Everything you do, you reflect Christ. And so when you think of patience, the first thing I think about is somehow, some way, I don't understand the... It's like Superman's telephone booth, but the opposite. It's like when you go from a Christian to getting into your car, all of a sudden you're not a Christian anymore. I'm just like, wait, what just happened to your patience, right? Like, Like, it's unbelievable, right? And just remember, when you leave here today, it's just a zipper, like when we get to that point, it's just a zipper. It works like a zipper. Everybody gets a turn. Like it's just a zipper. Don't try to double the zipper, right? It'll get caught. Like you got to go one at a time. I don't know. Ever heard of that story of that lady that got arrested by the police officer? She was in the middle of a stoplight and she's hanging out her window and she's yelling and she's screaming and she's throwing the bird. And on the back of her car, she had a cross and Jesus saves you and Jesus loves you and all these things. And so the police officer pulled her over. And she says, what did I do? I go, I think you stole this car. And, and let me remind you guys of something else. As Christians, like everywhere we go, we reflect Christ. In one bad way or a good way. I want to hear you to hear this. Every single person that works behind an airline counter, they have nothing to do with the weather. That's God. And they have nothing to do with the mechanical problems of the plane. So you being impatient with them is being impatient with somebody that has nothing to do with your problem. And so I love when stuff is, is not going well for them because I get to step in like, hey, can I go get you a Starbucks gift card? Can I, can I help you? Yeah, I'm trying to also get hooked up. I'll be honest. But uh, I, when, when, when I step into that with patience rather than impatience, I'm telling you nine out of ten times their response is way different. Why do we want to take our impatience out on somebody that doesn't control the situation? I don't understand it. I don't get it. Like, like patience is a reflection of Christ. What about kindness? What's the opposite of kindness? It's rude. It, it is rude. Why, like, Christians should not be rude people. We should be the opposite of rude. We should be kind. 
Right? So if we're walking in rudeness, if we're just rude to people and hoity-toity and everything, like, that doesn't show people Jesus. That's the enemy getting his work in us. as he's getting us to operate in our flesh? If this is the spirit, this is the flesh. Gandhi said this, if Christians would really, really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. He, also had, he, he won the Nobel Peace Prize, by the way. And he's not a Christian. He was Hindi. But, but he also had a quote that was powerful. He says, I, I love Jesus. It's not a problem with Jesus that I have. It's his followers. His followers are so unlike him. You know, there's a, it was, it was kind of cliche, but the old WWJD bracelets were so powerful. Because if we walked more in the spirit, we would actually show people more of who Jesus was. Patience, love, joy, kindness, right? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. What's the opposite of faithfulness? It's being dishonest. And Satan is what? The father of, right? Yeah. And so, so in Matthew 25, it also gives this parable of talents where he divvies out these talents to different people. And at the end of them, the two that were faithful with his talents, he walks up to him and says, well done, good and Yeah. And, and, and so, so for some of you in here, he's giving you financial resources. He's giving you gifted resources where you're good at something. He's giving you all different resources. And now you get to be faithful with them. And when we're not faithful with them, we don't reflect Christ. Or if we're dishonest on our taxes, like the rest of the world is watching you. And listen to me, why would we ever expect non-believers not to act like non-believers? Duh. The question is, why would we as believers act like non-believers, validating non-believers not to trust in a Christ if they see no change in our life? Now get it, we're going to battle this, but the Holy Spirit inside of you and Christ doing sanctifying work in you is going to help these fruits come out of you. Like any fruit tree, the more you nurture it and the more you water it, the healthier the fruit in your life will be. So how do you nurture and water it? You spend time in the Word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time with like-minded people. You spend time with people that will tell you the truth even when it's hard to hear. Hey, I wouldn't post that on Facebook. Hey, I would delete that on Facebook. That doesn't come across like Christ. I love you. I just want you to know, hey, we're trying to reflect Christ. To a world that doesn't know them, they're never going to be like, oh, yeah, you just ripped me on my political views and told me how stupid I was. Now please tell me about your Jesus. Said no one ever. Oh, you just yelled at me because I messed up your order in the restaurant. Now, now would you please tell me about this Jesus you claim to hear about at church? Or you just yelled at me at the airport because your mechanical problem somehow became my problem. But I noticed that you're wearing a cross on your chain. Can you tell me about your Jesus? Said no one ever. It's the opposite. Dude, they're, they're so hypocritical. Like, like they claim to know this Jesus, but they don't look anything like him because they don't walk in the spirit that already lives inside of them and embodies them, right? And so the, the quote that I'd give you with this is simply, serve God with integrity, and if you achieve no success, at least no sin will lie upon your conscience. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The next one is gentleness, right? What's the answer to gentleness? Harsh. I, I can't believe the harsh rhetoric that I see online. And I'll tell you this, I don't regret getting off Facebook and Twitter years ago for one second. For not one second have I regretted getting off of it. Mackenzie said something really wise during the debrief after the first time. Not only when are you off social media, is that freeing your time up? But also when you're off it, it's freeing up the mind that you sp- not spend not thinking about it. So it's actually freeing up way more time than you realize it's actually freeing up. I thought that was so good. And so when we answer people with a harsh tone or, or the way we can speak to our spouse in a way we speak to no one else and we'd be so harsh with her or him, it's unbelievable. But look at what Scripture says. A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Of course online people are angry. It's harsh words left and right. I don't know why a screen makes you so empowered to be harsh to people. 
You would never speak to people like that face to face. Right? And the last one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So if opposite of self-control is impulsive. Right? We live in a world more than any other time in the history of humanity where you get to be extremely impulsive. You want something? Pull up your phone and get it on Amazon right now. You, you want to access sexual immorality? Pull up your phone. You can get it instantly. You, you want something materialistic? Pull up your phone. You can get it within a day. It will be delivered at your door. It's called Amazon. Right? You, you, you want to communicate? You want to FaceTime? You, like everything in our world has allowed us to be impulsive and technology has actually hindered us from being able to exercise self-control or it's actually tempted us more into lacking self-control. And scripture also says a man without self-control is like a city's walls that have fallen down. It, it is healthy to tell yourself no because when you say no to the flesh, you're saying yes to the spirit that lives inside of you. Right? And the, the other thing about self-control is it reflects Christ. Look at this quote. To exercise self-control and walk in humility is to reflect Christ. For he is the epitome of both. He, he, ultimate self-control doesn't eat for 40 days. 40 days. Try that with your Golden Corral and your IHOP and every other restaurant you have on every single corner. Right? He doesn't eat for 40 days. And as soon as he hasn't eaten for 40 days, here comes the devil. Now, the devil really did visit him, right? Here comes the devil and says, hey, here's some food. Talk about self-control. Talk about self-control. He says, no. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Man lives on every word that comes from God. He's the epitome of self-control. And guess what? He lives inside of you in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so every single one of those things, singular fruit of the Spirit, lives inside of you as a believer of Jesus Christ. So love is inside of you. Joy is inside of you. Peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. All of those follower of Jesus, they are inside of you already. They don't just have to be randomly found. They're in you. When you trusted Jesus, those things are inside of you. And we get to walk in them. And when we walk in them, we reflect Jesus. And when we reflect Jesus, it's attractive to other people. But the opposite of all those things are not Jesus. And sometimes they're the flesh. And sometimes they're demons trying to push us into walking those flesh. Rarely are they Satan because I think he's infiltrating the internet as much as he can because it's going to have a much bigger impact. But hear me, I'm not telling you to get rid of your phones and I'm not telling you to get off the internet. That's not what I'm saying. I believe it can be redemptive and I believe it can be used in a healthy way. What I'm asking you to do this week is to fight the tension, to wrestle with the tension. Is ask yourself, when I get off my device or I get off the news or I get off whatever it is, whatever culture, age gap you're in, when I remove myself from this situation, are my heart's affections stirred for Jesus or am I more angry, am I more harsh, am I more judgmental, am I more impatient? What is it doing to your heart? And only you know that. I don't need to be the judge of that. But you need to have that tension and you need to live in that tension because the fruit of the Spirit already lives inside of every single one of you. And when non-believers see that fruit come out of you, it draws them to our Savior. It draws them to Him without you having to say a word. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much that you sent your spirit to live inside of us, that we could just walk in that fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. I pray this church body would do that. And I pray as they do that, non-believers would look and realize they have something they don't and would be drawn to that. I pray if there's anybody in this room that has never surrendered and trusted Jesus, that they wouldn't let another day go 
with the enemy getting that victory in their life. Be with this church body. Use them to impact this county and beyond in mighty ways. We sure do love you and thank you for all you do for us. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said.